Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message. We're gonna close this series today about, we don't see eye to eye about relationships. <clears throat> and um, we've taken this from Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine, that essentially say that we, uh, we don't see eye to eye with God. You know, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Uh, things are not exactly the way that, um, that, that we want them to happen, right? We, we have our view of things. We have our imagination of certain things, but God sees it differently. And so uh, I want to ask you a question today. If you were to boil the Christian life into a single word, a single word, and I need your participation, what would you say that is? Talk to me. Family, Jesus, what? A little louder because I'm getting old. Love, it all boils down to relationship. It boils down to relationship. And, I, and the word love is in there as well and family is in there as well. <clears throat> but it all boils down to relationship. I believe that that is the principal concept of the word of God. Now, when you, when you go back and all the way back to the book of Genesis, you see that relationship was part of the uh, relationship, the, the exchange between God, Adam, and Eve. The Bible says that they walked together. They took strolls in the cool of the day. I mean, that's just amazing. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you want to take a walk with Jesus? I mean, you know, uh, we're, we're going to Israel, and last time we got together with Robert and, and the entire group, and Robert and Kathy are gonna, just going to wow us. They actually lead the group, and we're just so excited to be part of that. But he mentioned something that we're going to be walking on. They found this, this sidewalk, I guess, that goes from the city of David uh, to the temple. And, and that he just said, we know this for sure, that that is what Jesus walked on. I melted. Just thinking about that, I thought, I'm going to, like, my feet are going to walk where Jesus walked. I, it was just so moving in my spirit. Now, imagine walking with God. God the Father, in the cool of the day, taking a stroll with him and just having a conversation. I don't know what that looks like. My mind is too finite to even begin to imagine what that actually looked like. But you can let your imagination go because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you can just see it. Uh, uh, you could see a little kid as God. You could see an older man as God. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not preaching a heresy here. I'm just telling you that however you picture that in your mind, that's fine with me and that's fine with God. Because the matter is the relationship, the exchange, the communication. Now, that all was great until the serpent, the devil, came into the picture and he deceived the man and the woman. And from that point on, relationships just took a whole 
different spin. And in fact, if you see a little further down in the book of Genesis, you do read that Cain and Abel, two brothers, had the first sibling conflict recorded in the Bible. And definitely not the last one. And if you're sitting next to your sibling, don't look at them right now. Don't look. Relationship just looked different from that point on. But relationship is part of our human experience on this planet. Now, the scripture that I want to share with us this morning is found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. And that is our text for today. And it basically says this. Hearing that Jesus had silent the Sadducees and the Pharisees, The Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love yourself, your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's an astonishing statement, isn't it? All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, when Jesus was asked about this important commandment, he basically answered that our relationship with God first And then the relationship that we have with one another is a close second. Now, you know, relationships are at the core of the Christian walk with God. And I believe that our relationship with God has to be first and foremost. Definitely because God said it, but also I think that we've experienced it. We've experienced that our relationship with God is the most important thing. Relationship with God promotes health spiritually. It it, it promotes encounters that we so desperately need. We believe in this church that encounters with God are the very thing that we need the most. And we promote it, we push for encounters with God whenever we are in worship, whenever we are in any kind of setting, whether that is here in the big church or in smaller community groups, we promote encounters with God because we do believe that God speaks today. That God wants to communicate to us today. That he wants to encounter. He wants to have a relationship with us. Way back in the Garden of Eden, God started the communication, the relationship with his children. And he still desires that today. He wants to walk with you. He wants to relate with you. He wants you to experience everything that he has for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? But today, I don't want to focus about the relationship with God aspect. I believe in that. That is a number one. I'm going to focus on the relationship with one another. Because I believe that we have our own mindsets and our own approaches. And oftentimes, we're not necessarily aligned with God and the Word of God. And so, I'm going to do my best to communicate some thoughts and some things that the Lord put on my heart. And here's the thing, guys. I am not an expert on relationships. I'm not, I mean, I I love, I'm a very relational guy, 
but I'm not an expert on the, on the topic of relationships. And so I'm going to do my best to just show you what the Word of God says, and, how, and hopefully we can learn something together. Now, in the verses that we read in Matthew, we encounter Sadducees and Pharisees. Sadducees and Pharisees. Who are these groups? Well, in case you didn't know, they're both Jewish religious sects that are primarily focused on, they were focused on the Torah or the law, right? They were focused on that. Now, the Sadducees were very concerned and, 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 and basically gave their time into the, uh, the rituals at the, um, in the temple. And so anything that had to do with the rituals of the temple, the Sadducees were the experts. As far as the Pharisees are concerned, they were the experts as far as the Torah was concerned. They would break it down. They would make it practical in the everyday living. But also, they had, aside from the Torah and the prophets, they also had practical things that they put together, which were their, uh, I guess you could call them their oral traditions, Right? The, 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 the Pharisees had a, a lot of oral traditions that they wanted to, to essentially use as part of their teaching about God. Now, the question that the Pharisees, and we've read it together in Matthew, the question that the Pharisees asked Jesus was aimed at getting him to falter and, and, and just make a mistake, right? They were testing him. They were tempting him. They were trying to see, what is this guy really made of? What does he have in mind? And they wanted to shame him because Jesus' ministry was growing, so they wanted to put him at odds. Now, Jesus' statement that the law and the prophets hinge on loving God and loving people is evidence that the kingdom and the teaching of the kingdom, like the importance of love, we talked about it, many of you suggested love as that, that key component, the principal component, and the teachings of the law and the prophets, they were rooted in these two things, to love God and love people. Are you with me? All of that. Everything that they were teaching, right? Jesus said, put that aside. Everything that you're saying is wrapped up in, two, in these two principles. Love God, love people. Now, when I look at this passage, I see the compassionate nature of Jesus. Completely in sharp contrast with the teaching of, of, of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which were based on legalism. I see that Jesus was concerned with change. He wanted to impart something that would be lasting in the lives of his hearers. And so Jesus challenged the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and today he challenges all of us because he wants us to learn to love him first and then each other next. The challenge for us is to not give in to the legalistic mindsets and the things that we have figured in our minds that that's how relationships are going to be. That's my relationship with God. It's got to be this way. And I, you know, I got to read the Bibles, you know, 
15 minutes a day and then pray five minutes a day in the morning and then read the Bible before I go to sleep and just say, Lord, please help me sleep well tonight. Amen. What, however, whatever your practice is, right, that is how we've envisioned it. Now, relationships in and of themselves are a vast and complex topic. That's why I feel very ill-prepared in, ter- in terms of relationships in general because I'm not an expert into this huge topic. But we could talk about so many different aspects of relationship. I mean, you could talk about marital relationship. You can talk about, you know, purity in relationship. You can talk about friendship relationship. There's so many different topics around the subject of relationship. But I want to take some basic principles that hopefully will guide us into everyday life. Now, um, how many of you believe that elevators are sometimes a weird space? Yeah, elevators are a weird space. I I agree with you, Aaron. Um, You know, and um, (laughs) I was reading about these two guys that got into their elevator to go into the office. They kind of like you know, maybe on the second floor, they wanted to go up to a higher floor. And so they, the door opened, and this elevator was packed with people. I mean, so many people. That's just uncomfortable, isn't it? Like, you look around, and say, like, how am I going to fit in here? But there's just enough room. And so they, they looked, and they decided, oh, I'm just going to step in. And so they stepped into this elevator. Everyone was just tense. The atmosphere was weird. And so one of the two guys wanted to diffuse the atmosphere. And he says, you may wonder why I called a meeting in here today. (laughs) And it kind of like everyone started smiling and diffused the atmosphere a little bit. I find that elevators are one of the most impersonal places. Because you know what? When you get into an elevator, what are you looking for? A corner. You're looking to stare at the wall and not at anybody. Can you imagine like having to be face-to-face with people like stare as you're going like, I don't know, from like, I'm just going to stare at you for like, for like 10 minutes as we're going from the first floor to like the 27th floor. It's like, when is this ride going to be over? Is this guy going to stop looking at me? It's, a, it's an unusual place. It's an uncommon place. But elevators... Also, to some, in some way, they are a microchasm of what our relationships in the world is. Now, let me explain that. Because we're surrounded, and oftentimes, even in a crowded setting, you may not even have a friend. Like the elevator. It's like none of those people are your friends unless you get in it with your friend. But most of those people, you wouldn't consider them friends. You were like, let me out of here. I'm like... Let's just hope I get to that floor. So I just, I can't breathe anymore. Get me out. You can work in a company. Great company. You can maybe be part of a church like this church. And maybe not have connections. Or not feel like you belong. Or that you may not even be accepted or liked by people around us. So what are some of the things that I want to... I want us to navigate through this morning. Well, first of all, I think that we need to admit that we need each other. Admit your need for others. As unique as we humans can be, I'll put unique in quotations, right? Some people can be weird 
sometimes. Unique is a better word. Um, we need each other. Guys, we need each other. You heard from Madison in just one aspect of the church, right, this morning. We need help because we need each other. Because we're heading somewhere. We're doing something for the Lord together. Now, you may have heard this. Abraham Maslow uh, was a psychologist who developed the theory of human needs and human motivation. And, and basically, the Maslow hierarchy of needs is his theory. And according to his theory, humans needs, or human needs are arranged in a different hierarchy of starting from the bottom all the way to the top. Now, these needs are this. Uh, physiological needs, like food, water, shelter. How many of you have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Oh, I see many of you. So I'm not saying anything different, right, or new to you. Safety needs, having a sense of security, protection, etc. Love and belonging needs, that is your social interaction and, and your need for love. Esteem needs, or developing self-respect and recognition from others. And finally, what he calls the self-actualization needs, which is essentially fulfilling your potential or your personal growth, finding meaning in life. Now, Maslow believed that people are motivated to move up, right? And as you move up into this hierarchy of needs, you start from the bottom, your physiological needs, and as you make your way up, you need to, before you get to self-actualization, before you find fulfillment in life, you need to meet all of the other needs and fulfill the other needs in order to get there. Now, one of the greatest needs that we know of, and because statistically it has been stated many times, is the need for humans to belong. We need to belong. We, it's absolutely something that is a need for relationship. I believe it's deeply rooted in our soul because God planted it there. God planted in us a desire for relationship, a desire, a need for relationship. In fact, way back in Genesis, we go back to Genesis in chapter 2, God said it's not good for men to be alone. It all started right at that point. We need each other. It wasn't good for men to be alone then. It's not good for me to be alone today. Now, we need each other. And... Uh, you know, Madison, without knowing, kind of mentioned some of this stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 to 22. Let's look at this scripture together. It says, yes, there are many parts, but only one body. It's talking about the church, talking about us. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. That would never happen physiologically to your body. It's impossible. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body, and check this out, that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Can you say, wow? You know, sometimes we don't think of it that way because essentially what we do is like, well, I, I'm not that good. You know, I mean, somebody else could do what I'm doing way better than I can. 
I don't need to be involved in that area. I mean, like, look, Lois could do a better job. Let, let, let her do it. Right? But that's not what the scripture is saying. In a family, in order for a family to function and be effective, it needs every member of that family. Everyone needs to play a part and a role in the family. And so I'm challenging us today to realize that you have a role, I have a role, we each have a role, and it's our responsibility to jump in. Now, number two, we need to cultivating, or need to understand that cultivating relationships requires work. Now, nothing will ever work in a garden, friends. Nothing. How many of you have a garden, summer garden, and you plant vegetables and flowers and all kinds of cool stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 mean, I know Polly and David's garden. They don't do anything. There's things that just kind of like grow by themselves, right? We have a, a bit of a spot in our garden where tomatoes for the past three years, they kind of like spring up and they just like give us all of these little cherry tomatoes. And I'm like, this is fantastic. I don't have to do a thing. All I got to do is just pick up tomatoes and eat them. That's great. But the reality is that if you really want a good garden, you need to spend some time in that garden. You know, it was probably almost as, Lois, I would say almost as big as this stage, right? When we lived in Montreal in Canada, we had a garden that was almost as big as this stage. Our backyard for almost like... A, a, a good section of the backyard was just like all kinds of peppers and tomatoes and salads and green beans and spaghetti squash and, and uh, eggplants and, and tons of tomatoes. I mean, like tons of tomatoes. They were not wild tomatoes. They were like, well, manicured tomatoes. You know, I go in there and just till the soil and pull out the weeds. You, you got to take care of it if you want a good product. You know what I'm talking about? Relationships are much the same way. We need to take care of relationships. And in order to thrive in our, in our walk in this life, we need others around us. But relationships don't just happen, friends. We need to put effort into it. We need to put effort into it. Now, Something that struck me as I was reading this scripture, Paul, the apostle, as he traveled from church to church, he wasn't just focused on sharing the gospel. He also did something else. And I want to read it in this 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8 says this. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only the good news, but our own lives too. Did you get it? You see what he did there? He didn't just show up, preach a message, and go home. He actually got to know people. He invested in them. He got to know what they liked and disliked. He invested in the people that he ministered to. He basically said, he's saying here, we shared our own lives. We shared everything about us. And that is what we all need to do. Now listen to these key words. That I, I, I call them uh, action words in this text. We loved you. Shared with you. Our own lives. And there's a translation that says, Because you have become so dear to us. Paul was willing to share. Because there was a, an exchange that was taking place. Right? 
He wasn't just saying, hey, do this because the Bible says so. He was saying, hey, let's grow together in this. You know what? Maybe Paul, in his own words, says, I haven't really accomplished everything that there is to be accomplished. But I press on. I think he said something like that, didn't he? I press on. We need each other. Cultivating healthy, transparent, and sincere relationships requires commitment, which leads me to the third point. That is, authentic relationships require commitment. Now, I told you that um, relationships is not my area of expertise. And that's actually been, you know, authenticity um, has been something that I, that I had to work in, to work on and, and struggle with for a good part of my young adult life. I, um, I moved from Italy when I was 20 years old um, to Canada because this woman absolutely struck me and I just could not leave her in Italy. I'm just, oh, wherever you go, I go, you know. Isn't there a passage about that, Robert, I think? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so I decided to, to move. And I, you know, I came from Italy. I could not speak the language very well. I did not understand the culture. I did not understand so many things about the culture. I'm like, this is weird. That's weird. That's weird. That's weird. These people are weird. <laughs> but then again, wait a second. Um, I married one. Maybe not. They're maybe not that weird. But I struggled because I often thought I was behind the eight ball in so many ways because I did not understand the culture. And so as a result, I kind of forced myself to project an image that really was not 100% me, right? And I suppressed my own feelings. And, and when, if somebody would say to me, oh, huh, what did you say? <laughs> That's not how we say it. And I would smile and I would project a, you know, self-confidence. Oh, that's how you say, oh, oh. But inside, I was suppressing, like, feelings and emotions that I wanted to tell them, you know what? That's just rude. And I didn't know how to say it. And so I didn't say anything. Sometimes we do that when it comes to Relationships. Being authentic is something that is, I, 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 you know, some people are just naturally authentic. They're just, they, they can speak the truth. You ask them a question, they'll just tell you anything. Uh, but I do believe for the, for the rest of us normal people, <laughs> I just can't help myself. I'm sorry. Um, we have to really work at it. And we have to learn how to actually be authentic. To thrive relationship, relationally, I think we must commit to authenticity. That means that we get beneath the surface stock, becoming interested and accountable to one another the way that we really need to as a body of Christ. We invite people into our space, and that means that we become accountable to each other. You know, in the, in the aspect of church life, believers... Right? 
as we come to church on Sunday, we're all believers, actually become brothers and sisters that you do life with, people that you care that you care for, that care for you. They become your brothers and sisters and sometimes better than your biological brothers and sisters, if you know what I'm talking about. We commit to each other. We commit to protecting and respecting each other's vulnerability. Listen to what Proverbs 17, 17 says. A friend loves at all time, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. There's a difference between a friend and a brother. Big difference. A friend can be with you when things are going great. Fair weather friends. But a brother. Now I know that that's not the case in every single family. But they say that blood is thicker than water, isn't it? That a brother will stick by you. Your, your biological brother or sister will be the ones. You know what? When I know that I, can, I need to talk to somebody, they will always accept me no matter what. I can talk to my brothers. I have three of them. And I think Lois's experience is the same. She can talk to her sisters. You probably have the same experience. You can talk to one of your siblings. And if you don't have a sibling, you can talk to somebody that you know you can trust because that person has become very, very important and close to you. We need to become brothers and sisters. Authenticity does that. Now, I want to I give you a little caveat in all of this. This doesn't mean that you say everything to everybody blindfoldedly without looking at who's in front of you. What am I saying? is that some people just cannot handle certain types of information that you share with them. And that requires wisdom. Now, if you're sharing your testimony publicly in front of everybody, that's a different story. But you want to be careful who you share certain information with, not because you don't trust them. It's just that they cannot handle certain information. And you know who those people are. So you want to be careful in that sense of the word. Now, when we become authentic, we open ourselves possibly to criticism, and we may experience some pain and misunderstanding. You know what? Relationally speaking, you can't wrap yourself in bubble wrap and isolate yourself, cocoon yourself against being hurt because you're afraid of pain relationally. Because, you know, with the same bubble wrap, that cocoon that you create around yourself, not allowing anybody into your space, they will also not be allowed to love you and pour love into you if you're so self-protected. Right? You know what I'm saying? So we need to be open with wisdom, but be open. We have to take down those walls of self-protection and isolation and the indifference that we sometimes portray to other people. It's like, what is wrong with this person? It's like, it's a wall. Like, I can't get through that. We need to be open to healthy relationships. And when we take a chance, 
I know I've experienced in the unlikely places and unlikely relationships that when I opened my heart to them, I found a beautiful person on the other side. And when they opened their hearts to me, I found a beautiful person on the other side. Sometimes the perception that we have of people is quickly, it can quickly be destroyed by misconceptions. And we just need to be open. Let me give you the fourth reason about relationship is we need to prioritize relationships. Now, I believe that we have typically, I'll say typically, six types of relationships that we deal with. God, self, spouse, or if you don't have a spouse, parents, children, if you don't have any children, siblings, church, and friends or other relationships like co-workers, etc., right? Now, we can't give to God what belongs to our, uh, sorry, we can't give to our family, to our spouse, what belongs to God. We can't give to our friends what belongs to God. I, you know what, sometimes this is a big mistake, big area for pastors, right? And I know that I have to be so guarded against that because I can't give to you what I need to give to my wife. You can't give to friends what you need to give to your spouse. We all need to be mindful of relationships. I believe that in the aspect of, of relationship, we choose our priorities. And we need to be careful in choosing. Now, many marital relationships, struggles and issues happen when we are not relationally invested. I know this for personal experience because we have been through it. When I was the least involved in our relationship, that's when we started having cold shoulder treatments and, 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 uh, and just not looking at each other in a, in, a, in a good way. I mean, I know that I'm, Lois and I are the only ones that have marital struggles. So I honor and applaud you for being so perfect. Thank you. But that comes out of the necessity to invest and prioritize. As Christian men... And Christian women, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, yes. But we must also learn to be practical. Jesus was practical. And that means that if you need help, yes, the Holy Spirit is with you. But also seek wisdom from godly people. Seek good counseling if necessary. If you're looking for counselors. We have a list of approved counselors at our church that we deal with. If you need some recommendations, let us know. It's important that we realize this. Let me move. Uh, number five, we need to be uh, aware of problems in relationships. And I'm going to close with this. We live in an imperfect world, friends. And in an imperfect world, we have imperfect relationships and imperfect people. People will fail us. They'll hurt us. And the sooner we realize that that is actually the case, the healthier we will be. And we will not put people on a pedestal. And when we don't put people on a pedestal, oftentimes we save ourselves some conflict. Now, let me say this at a high level, that when conflicts arise, and they will, we can either do one of three things. We can confront them in love, 
we can wish our conflicts away or we can refuse to deal with them altogether. Biblically and as believers, I only see one healthy way, and that is to confront them in love, to confront relationships in love. Now, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 says this, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Is there any more clear scripture about how we should handle trouble and difficulties in relationships? I don't think so. It is as clear as can be. That means that if you have an issue, a struggle, a difficulty with somebody, whether in this place or outside of this place, our responsibility before God, this is not an obligation that you have. It's your responsibility, my responsibility before God is to leave that offer at the altar. Why is it that sometimes we find it so hard to worship? Because we have conflicts in our hearts that we have not resolved, unresolved conflicts and situations that absolutely gnaw at your spirit. It's there. You can't let go. Because it's there, because the enemy knows how to get to you. He knows how to get to me. And so that gnawing takes place, and you can't lift up your hands and worship because you, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. But that's not God's fault. So we, our responsibility is to make things right with God, not to pre. Uh, not, not to uh, not worship God during the time of worship. You know what I'm saying? So leave offer at the altar, the offering at the altar, and go and make a right, whether that is with a person if you're in the same space with, hey, so be it. If not, go out, make, take a, make a phone call real quick, apologize, do whatever you got to do, or do it before coming to church, or do it at some point. Be humble. That's what it's saying. Like, be humble. Don't be so proud that you got to, you know, keep that attitude going constantly, like, oh, you know, I, I just... I, I got to defend my space. This is my, you don't have to do that. God wants to be honored. He wants us to forgive one another. We can't afford to harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. The enemy uses it to poison our spirits. And you know what I have found? I have found that oftentimes the, the things that I had in my heart against somebody, because I thought that they hurt me, a lot of them didn't have a clue. You know what I'm talking about, Polly, right? Yeah, it's like, what? Uh, oh, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. In the meantime, you're like, you, you want to scream. You want to pull your hair out. And it's like, this person is so rude. It's like, uh. they don't even know. Some people are clueless. Can I be honest? I've been clueless just like that. Said things that were hurtful to my wife. Didn't even realize it. And when I got the cold shoulder, and I'm like, did I say something? That? Yes, you said that, 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 that. I'm like, the thought that crossed my mind was, oh, crap. I know you're, you, know, you don't say words like that, but I do sometimes. Did I, did I really do that? 
Did I say that? Yes? We need to acknowledge those times and immediately respond with humility. There are conflicts that sometimes it's just a matter of just a simple apology. The question that I want to ask you today is, who do you have to forgive in your life so that poison doesn't consume you? Do you need to release someone so that you can actually truly walk in freedom? If you do, if that answer is yes, today you can walk out of here in freedom. Today. In Luke 6 and 31 says, do to others as you would have them do to you. If we forgive, we'll be forgiven. You can't expect to be forgiven if you do not forgive. Let me also say this. In James 3 and verse 8 says, that no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And you know what? When we gossip... We are spreading poison. Poison. That means, guys, when you get together, don't talk about your wives. Don't make funny remarks about your spouse. Women, when you get together, don't gossip about how bad your husband is leaving his underwear in the living room on the floor. Don't, don't tell your girlfriends that he, he, he doesn't want to pick up his dishes when he's done eating. I'm, I'm telling you, it's little things like that. It's little poison that gets spread. And, you know, it starts with innocuous little things, but then it goes into bigger things. Rather than gossiping, let's choose forgiveness. Let's choose confession. Let's choose healthy answers. Let's choose repentance. Church, we must be careful not to uh, put some unrealistic expectations before us when it comes to relationships. Take your eyes off of people. There's no human being that will ever provide a perfect safe haven in their hearts for you or you for them. It just is not going to happen. There's no perfection on this earth. But the good news is that it's possible to trust other people. And in fact, as I look at all of you, I'm just, I'm, I'm so blessed and so honored to be part of this church family because as I look at you, I see so many people that are trustworthy people that, that, that can be, uh, you can enter connection and relationship with and, and become friends with. This is a beautiful body of believers. If you have been hurt, I'm sorry. I really am. It's not fair, but take small steps and learn to trust again. I'm going to close with this quote from Martin Buber, an Australian, uh, sorry, Austrian-Israeli philosopher. And he said this about relationships. He said, sin is our failure to grant another his plea for community. I'm going to repeat that. Sin is our failure. To grant another his plea for community. 
Community should be something that we should all easily engage in. All of us. And I pray that that's not the sin that we commit not to grant any one community. That's why we, are, we, we, we promote community groups in this environment. Because yes, we want you to grow in the Lord, but we also want you to grow with other people. If you are not in a community group, can I ask you today, before as you walk out, stop by the connection area. Just grab one of those connection cards and fill it out and say, I want to be part of a community group. We'll get in touch with you. We'll put you in a community group. You need us. We need you. We need each other. Perhaps you need some changes in your life. Perhaps you need to modify some of the connections that you have, some of the relationships, the friends that, that you rub shoulders with. Are they bringing life to you? Are they causing you to grow in God? Or is it just for the purpose of getting together, I don't know, sipping on a, on a, on a glass of Pinot? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I like to sip on a glass of Pinot and have a great conversation. That's not the point. But it's like, what life are you receiving from those who are closest to you? We need to challenge ourselves, friends. Because this life goes by very quick. Minutes turns into hours and, and, and hours turn into days and days turn into weeks and months and years. And we need to do better for our own good. I'm telling you as a brother and as a friend, that we need to, involve, to be involved relationship, uh, relationally with one another as God intends for us to. 